Hello and welcome back to the Courage Project podcast. I'm your host, Elise Vickers, and today I have another super special guest on. And honestly, I was just reflecting a little bit and I am so grateful to have this platform where I get to connect with and share the voices of such incredible people. Truly, it is so cool to be able to not only have these conversations that inspire me, but to then put these conversations out into the world to inspire other people as well. But before I introduce our guest, I want to start this episode with a nice collective breath to ground and bring us to this present moment. And I know I'm kind of hit and miss with these, but we're doing it today. So I hope you choose to participate. Take a moment to just settle into your body and together let's take a nice deep inhale. Feel your belly, chest, rib cage all expand and let it all go at the next hail. Let's do one more for good luck. Inhale. And release. So today's guest is named Jessie Morisut. Jessie is a teacher, writer, mindfulness facilitator, Reiki practitioner, and embodiment and empowerment leader. She supports and empowers others to reconnect to self through conscious living that transforms body, mind, and soul to realize potential and claim their own sense of ease and joy. Jessie lives, works, and plays in the Kootenays of British Columbia on the traditional lands of the Sinaiaxt and Katunaha. So I am so overjoyed to welcome Jessie to the Courage Project. Welcome, Jessie. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you today. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. So I wanted to start with a question kind of relevant to the title of the podcast. Based on the idea of big T and little t traumas, if you're familiar with that concept being like those big traumas that are life shattering and just those little traumas that chip away with us. I thought of a concept similar to that of big C and little c courage. So big C courage meaning those big leaps of faith we take and little c courage being those little steps that just really build our confidence and lead us to taking those bigger leaps of courage. So we're going to talk about your big C courage as we dive into your story deeper, but how do you practice that little C courage? You know, the the day-to-day, moment-to-moment courage. I love that question. I think really the little C moments are what lead to the big C moments, mm-hmm. right? It's so many little C moments that are combined and add together that make the big C. So for me, the biggest thing is really being able to hear and listen to myself in order to take these little C moments that just collectively combine, right? So if I'm um, in a situation where I need to set a boundary or have kind of a tricky conversation or what have you, 
if I'm not connected to myself, I'm not going to be taking that little C kind of mini leap, let's say. Mm -hmm. So that piece of doing things that connect me to me, whether that be self-care, whether that be, um, you know, really honoring my needs and kind of almost that little bit of ripping the bandaid off of Mm -hmm. just saying the thing that you need, just saying no, um, I guess it's like little mini bits of stepping through fear that collectively add up to maybe a really massive one that feels maybe more earth shattering or scary. Um, So I guess the answer is connection to self, right? Like these little, these little moments still require for me to be tapped into me, for me to know what I'm needing um, and for me to act on those kind of little instances where that might be needed. Totally. I love that answer. And it does take a lot of courage to be able to say no to the things you need to say no to. And that requires you being connected with yourself. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So the title of this episode is The Courage to Unplug from Autopilot and Reconnect to Self. And I took this from your Instagram bio. Yes, (laughs) love it. (laughs) I saw that immediately. I was like, "Mm, podcast title. (laughs) Perfect. So can you take us back to when you were plugged into autopilot Mm. and how you realized that and took responsibility to then unplug? I love it. Yeah, that's a really big piece of my why is that, you know, that autopilot that I think a lot of us find ourselves in, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of living really unconsciously, just kind of going with the flow of day to day, um, but not even really going with the flow, right? Like in a lot of striving, in a lot of pushing and kind of forcing and really not being connected to self at all. Um, Being very much in the head, not really in the body. You know, these are all the things that I think make up that autopilot state that we're often in. And I know for me, you know, I was kind of on my path I had gone to university, I had done all these expected things, I had, you know, been on this path to striving towards a lot of big goals I had for myself since a really long time. And, you know, I was starting my career as a teacher, something I always wanted to do. Um, I was finally in this city that was super meaningful to me and was a city that I wanted to be in for so long. And I just kind of got into this pattern of just showing up to work every day, just being in, you know, what was at times and most of the time a very stressful environment and really was just at the grind. Like that's what it felt like. Um, And over time, I think I slowly started to notice this kind of, you know, feeling exhausted, feeling tired was slowly building up into more. Mm -hmm. And this autopilot state is really what was preventing me from being able to stop, connect in, shift things as needed, provide that self-care, say no to things I needed to say no to. Mm -hmm. It was very much just like pushing through, um, you know, that old mentality of like hard work and just get it done, you know, very like masculine energy traits. And, you know, a lot of our society is in that. A lot of things around work are just like 
success is what it looks like and it's around money and it's around how much, how hard you work. And I just really got caught in that. Um, and yeah, it started to really build up for me and, and start to become, I guess, a larger problem. Yeah. And it's so true. We're so accustomed to that depiction of success and hard work and I think oftentimes we just dive into that because that's what everyone's doing and we don't even question it and that's part of that autopilot living that living unconsciously is that we just do it and then maybe if you do that gain that consciousness down the line you realize like why am I actually doing this Mm. we don't really think of it we just do because that's what everyone's doing. So I think it's hard to actually take that step back sometimes and have a desire to connect with yourself and tune into, is this true to me? Or like, what are the reasons that I'm actually doing this? Yes. Yeah, I think that's so well said. And, you know, I think there's so many layers to it too, right? Like there's expectations that are kind of placed on us from whether it be like family or society or just these pressures we feel that we have to, once we start something, like continue it Mm -hmm. or finish it. Um, And so for me, you know, I was on this path of, you know, teaching and being in a certain profession that I'd wanted for so long. And I was starting to, you know, notice, like I felt like I had to continue it because I started it. Mm. And this notion of, you know, permanence and finding that permanent position and that job that, you know, kind of equaled success in some way, as we're saying, I think I was just noticing, you know, maybe this isn't working in some ways. And that kind of came a little later down the road than maybe, um, I would have liked, right? Because I didn't have that tapped into self um, piece fully, I guess, like I wasn't fully conscious of that. Um, but yeah, there's so many layers I think that prevent us from fully seeing what it is that we're in. And if it is something we're wanting to continue for us, um, you know, the other piece that comes up is that validation from external sources, you know, I was constantly searching for that external validation, right? And am I doing a good job? Am I being a good teacher? Am I being a good person? And, you know, there's so much work I've done around even like the good girl wound, Mm. you know, all these different things um, that really can come into play that are these kind of limiting constructs that we're seeing the world through. And we're just kind of, as you said, chipping away. We're just continuing down the road without maybe that full awareness. Yeah. And those pieces that you mentioned all come in together so well because coming from that, those conditionings that are passed down generationally, I mean, it's just what our parents and their parents, etc., what they knew. And it's our responsibility to then have that level of consciousness to break that cycle and know that it's not serving us because Maybe it served them and maybe it did serve us in getting us to a certain point, but that only goes so far. Yes. And then it also comes back to external validation because then oftentimes I think that external validation and people pleasing point 
and being the good girl is in seeking of that validation from our parents who have that conceived idea of what success is and what it means to achieve success and how to achieve success. So it's those guidelines that we're acting this way to achieve, right? Yes. So then in your situation, this brought you to your teaching career. And then how did that play out for you after? Did you end up finding yourself in a situation that you needed to change? Or did you come to some realization that you were not in the right place? Yeah, so, and that was, I guess, a really challenging piece for me is I always wanted to be a teacher. That was just kind of what was expected to some degree. You know, I'd been working on that path for some time and now I was in it. And there was a lot of things that I absolutely loved about that job and, you know, the meaningful impact that you have on young humans is just, you know, that's, it's incredible. Um, And so that was, that was really special for me, but there was so many other aspects that just weren't working. And I think I knew for a really long time, and I said this, I remember to one of my teacher friends in the staff room, like early years, I can't see myself ever being a pension teacher. Meaning I can't ever see myself doing this until I collect my pension. Like just Mm. for 35, 40 years, the same job, the same school, the same thing. Um, That's just not how I operate. And learning more about human design, I now know like my energy type and that I'm not meant to kind of be in that type of a um, reality. Yeah. So getting back to, you know, that realization that it was time for something different, that was really building over a period of, I would say, a couple years. Um, And I think at that time, I really didn't know what else. You know, I'd been building for so long to this certain point. I was in the city. I was in the job. You know, I got my permanent position I was in an amazing apartment. You know, there was all these things going and I just thought, I don't know what else. Like, I don't know what would be next. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this expectation that now I'm a teacher and this is what I do. And to kind of disrupt, you know, that understanding, I guess, that people had of me um, felt really scary. It also felt like, I don't know what's next. Um, It felt a lot like in my head, right? It didn't feel like reality until things started going down a path that were challenging, right? So in my teaching years, I, you know, I was teaching at an inner city school in the city. There was a lot of challenges um, on top of, you know, just the regular stresses of being a teacher and, I think over time, the levels of exhaustion just slowly turned into burnout. And at that time, you know, the culture of teaching still very much does not incorporate this understanding of wellness or well-being. You know, it's not integrated into that profession. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing everything I could on the outside in my own time um, that related to self-care and related to you know, self-development work. And I was, I was doing as much as I could to support myself, but 
I think I still couldn't fully see like I was very much in striving. I was very much in that, you know, perfectionist, people pleasing, um, you know, go above and beyond kind of teacher role. And I think it just grew and grew. And the burnout then led into anxiety and depression. And that was something that I think I caught almost a little too late, like once I was already in it. Um, And I remember, I can speak to that experience as well, but I just remember feeling like this isn't working anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I kind of had to sit with it. I didn't have any choice but to um, come to terms with what was happening because, you know, it's not something I could ignore anymore right Mm -hmm. there were physical symptoms my health was starting to break down there was um I basically had to stop and pause and go okay there has to be a change here Mm -hmm. I have to do something different and I think I really didn't want to because one it was scary two I didn't know what I'd be doing next three you know, I was already in a really challenging situation. I felt like my health wasn't there. Um, I knew it would be a really massive switch and change. And so I think I was probably prolonging it a little bit as well. Yeah. And it's hard to now, like, you look back and you can see how the universe was just like, whispering and then it kind of got louder and louder and trying to reorient you back into alignment with yourself but it's just trying to give you those signs until you listen and it only gets louder I totally totally know this yes and it's hard too because logically your mind is telling you no this is scary no I don't know what else I would do if not this and you almost see those health challenges as a rather than that reason to move forward and change as a reason that you need to keep where you are to have some sort of a sense of security and safety because you don't have that in your health right exactly yeah that was and that was a big piece I know you know at that point in time I was absolutely maxing out my benefits (laughs) right for extended health like I was doing everything under the sun and I almost felt like well, what am I going to do if I'm, I'm not in this career that, like you're saying, you know, provides this huge level of security mm. and safety. Yeah. Um, and I think I had this moment where I realized, I don't know if I would need the access to all of these, you know, health supports if I wasn't, you know, undergoing this level of stress and, you know, now mental health issues and, you know, physical um, health problems. Yeah. Um, So it really, it was, yeah, it was a bit of a switch in kind of thinking there. And, you know, in the point in time that kind of led up to what I call, you know, my rock bottom Mm. was really a culmination of just, you know, a long list of physical symptoms. And I remember being in spring break and it was, you know, time that I actually finally had off and was fully away from teaching. I wasn't in the school and I started to notice that all of these physical symptoms that I'd never experienced before um, were slowly starting to go away. You know, they weren't there anymore to a certain degree. And 
it was also my breaking point in terms of, you know, really feeling the anxiety and depression that I was feeling, I was starting to go like, this isn't normal. Like it's not normal to disconnect from friends and family. It's not normal to, you know, just have a pit in your stomach and you can't eat anything. Um, you know, all these different things, um, that started just coming to an absolute coming to a head and, You know, I remember going to like finally realizing, okay, I need to do something about this. And this was kind of the start of things shifting and changing for me. Mm -hmm. And I remember at the time it was still very much COVID. And so in-person things weren't still really fully happening. And so I got a doctor's appointment online and it was a video appointment. And I kind of told her my long list of things and said, you know, I, I feel like there's probably something else going on here besides stress. And I remember she got me to do two like online assessments for anxiety and depression. And they both were very much things after the assessment that were in my reality. And then I remember going into the notes portion of the the call at the end. And, you know, she had noted the patient appeared well during the call. And I just felt these layers of just that validation again, right? From external sources, I felt completely invalidated in what I was feeling, um, you know, as maybe people, you know, know or not when you're experiencing mental health, you know, issues, you could appear physically well, to other people and still be very much undergoing challenges there that are really affecting your day to day. And so it became really important to me to start to talk about that more and to share my experience. And, um, you know, that was really a pivotal point for me in kind of moving forward to start really making some changes. Yeah. I don't know. I find it kind of interesting the way that it can be such a positive thing the way that we kind of talk a lot about mental health and such on social media and just in general in conversations now more than ever but it also gets to that point where it does like normalize it which is a good thing because a lot of people do experience it so it makes people feel less alienated in that experience but I think in normalizing those mental health struggles, we almost make it sound like it's something that is okay and is normal. And it's okay, of course, but it's not normal in the sense that it it shouldn't be your norm. You know, like that does still indicate that there is some underlying problem in your lifestyle, in the way you're living Mm -hmm. that isn't being addressed. And then to seek out help, which is really important... But if you're seeking out medical help and maybe getting a pill or something, which is really good to help in the short term, but it is still putting a Band-Aid over your problem and it's not addressing that underlying issue. Yes. And I think that that's where a lot of people just get to that point and that's what our solution is. Yes. And we don't get any deeper than that. Yeah, and that's such a good... Point. I mean, I know that I noticed in the school system, you know, at that point in time, obviously teachers were undergoing a lot of stress at kind of the height of the pandemic. And, mm-hmm. 
you know, teachers were talking about, oh yeah, I got my prescription for anxiety medication. Like everyone was taking some sort of medication for either anxiety or depression or both. And it became normalized. And I remember thinking like, this is not normal and this is not okay. And, you know, at that point in time, I think I knew that, you know, going that route wasn't really serving me. And so I was trying, you know, every alternative you know, health option in the book. And I had some incredible experiences and the two that really resonated with me and really supported me was acupuncture and reflexology. And these were both, you know, more ancient Eastern um, systems of understanding health. And, you know, one of my physical symptoms was a skin rash and it was wild I had it for two years it was all over my cheeks it was absolutely rampant and I remember going to the reflexologist for a facial reflexology appointment and I show up with my mask on so covering it and I sit down in the chair and she asked me to remove my mask and she looks at my face and immediately says are you breathing And, you know, I kind of laugh and I go, am I breathing? Like, yeah, of course. I'm here. I'm I'm here. (laughs) You know, and then she looked at me and she said, no, are you breathing? And, you know, she said like deep belly breaths, like, where are you breathing? Are you breathing into your stomach? And in that moment, I realized like I had been holding breath. I had just been breathing super shallow in the chest and it was such a big moment for me. You know, I went home and I, I actually YouTube like how to deep breathe, <laughs> you know, and I laid on my couch and I just had like my hand on my stomach and my chest and I just practiced breathing into like expanding the lungs and, and breathing into that space and what she had actually said and was such a neat perspective was, um, you know, that that area of my face represented the lungs Mm -hmm. and that I wasn't really getting enough breath into the lungs in the way that was needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that kind of started my journey too into, you know, understanding health and well-being from a different lens and from more of an integrated, you know, mind, body, and soul connection, not just this physical um, and head, you know, mind-related Um, understanding of health so those were some really big moments um, kind of leading to me to you know what I'm in now and really starting to make some new changes Mm, yeah isn't it cool too how you go to these eastern types of medicine and that's the thing that comes up is breathing and of course we don't I mean the most important thing that we do and we don't even know how to breathe properly Yeah. And I just, what came up in my mind as you were saying that was, okay, so you in that situation with your face rash could have gone to a medical doctor and probably gotten a prescription for a pill or a cream to put on. And I did many times. Yeah. (laughs) But never filled them. No. (laughs) Because it didn't resonate. Oh, I love that you did that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then you also go to this alternative medicine and immediately they're addressing those underlying causes that we were talking about before and notice that yes this face rash does represent that area of the lungs and so then are you breathing and they know those types of cues and those things 
everything is so interconnected in the body and our bodies are just so wise. Like the wisdom stored within us Mm. is insane, more than we'll ever know. Yes. Yet we don't trust that inner wisdom and that inner healing capacity we have. So I love every time I see such a tangible example of that, it just brings me so much joy because I'm like, this is real. Like This is the way to heal. Yes. I couldn't agree more. It's that piece of like tapping in to yourself, to your intuition, to the knowings that you have. Right. And, you know, with the autopilot that so many of us are in, we're disconnected from our bodies and from our intuition. We're not taught how to do that. Um, and that was a big piece of, you know, my, my move in moving forward, um, you know, after some of these kind of breaking point experiences. Mm-hmm. So then moving forward after this experience with some alternative health and trying to treat these physical symptoms you were having, where did that bring you? Did it bring you any relief? Did it help or did you kind of still linger what was next for you there yeah I think the biggest piece I mean at this point in time like just to paint a picture a bit I was working full-time as a teacher and you know full-time a teacher is is very much like a range but it can be like seven to seven right and Mm -hmm. so I was very much in that and I would get home and I would just be absolutely exhausted and would you know feed myself and like that was kind of it and maybe some self-care yeah Weekends were just like absolutely trying to resource and get myself back to baseline to start the week again. And so, you know, doing these alternative modalities were supporting, but I was so far beyond like below my baseline that they would support to kind of like help bring me back. But there was something bigger that needed to happen to help facilitate this this healing and this moving forward. And so the biggest thing that came up and that I had to do was to reduce my time at work. I needed to actually physically remove myself from the situation that was causing so much dis-ease. And that was super hard, right? Um, You know, the teacher guilt and the shame and just all these feelings that were coming up. You know, that spring I was in a deep process of grieving and just so many things. And I had to step away from teaching to some degree. You know, I was in the classroom at least one day less a week, if not more. Um, And that was a huge component in me being able to slowly start to get at least to some degree in survival, I guess, in a survival sense, back to being okay. Um, you know, not being in health and not being well, but being okay. Um, and so that carried me into the end of the school year. And then from that point forward, you know, I had two months off. And so this is where I needed to be. This was a really important time. Um, I kind of took the first couple of weeks just to absolute veg. (laughs) And then I remember going on a solo, Uh, trip. I went through the national parks and I camped and it was a really huge experience for me that I needed so deeply. Um, I was so in reflection at that point in time. Like there were so many things coming up for me. And that was where I really realized 
the word that came up was trapped. Mm. I felt so trapped in my job and where I was. And it was scary because I never would have expected that I would feel that way. You know, that word would be associated with what I had built. Um, And so it was a huge moment to realize, okay, this is how I'm feeling. This is not how we want to be. You know, this is not the way I want to live. And I remember later in that week on the trip, I also had this epiphany moment of realizing that I had choice. Mm. And that was huge. You know, I didn't really feel like I I realized I had choice, but I also didn't really feel like I did. You know, it was these pieces of, okay, but I have this job and I have this, you know, I already have my class set for next year. I have these expectations, these requirements to fill. Um, And I slowly started just chipping that piece away and going like, no way, I do have choice. Mm -hmm. I get to choose something different here. And that was a really important piece to me then kind of moving into, you know, leaving a lot of things and starting this new chapter. Yeah. That part, that really hit me too. And you're like, this is me feeling like my life isn't where it should be. Because you see it, like, I don't know, maybe someone listening, like you're hearing this story, but you haven't experienced it maybe. So you're like, well, that... I'm fine where I am, you know, you never think it's going to happen to you. And it's so hard when you go about your entire life with this dream, like you had this entire dream and vision for yourself being a teacher. And then to come to this point where you're, you are coming to the realization that it's, it's maybe potentially not where you're supposed to be. That's scary. And then even scarier is realizing that you do have the choice. And that's within your hands. And I think I noticed in your story that it's like you almost don't want to admit you have the choice. Yes. Because that's where it gets real. That's where you're like, okay, so now I have the choice. So now I'm ultimately making a choice. Whether you consciously make it or not, you're making the choice to either like honor yourself and maybe step away from that thing or you're really making the choice to just dishonor yourself and stay in this path that's not serving you and you're choosing to dishonor your health and well-being as well yes and I think unfortunately but the reality is I think a lot of us a lot of people stay in that right The, the fear is too much and the uncertainty is too much that just staying in it a little longer just continuing down the road it feels too daunting to try and switch it up And, you know, speaking to that in my experience, my body chose for me, you know, and what I realized was, um, you know, first with the physical symptoms of my health breaking down and what have you. But in that summer, you know, as I would likely be needing to get ready for a new school year again, and my body was not in that space. And it became really clear to me, like, I was not going back to teaching in the fall. That was not happening. That was not an option. Um, You know, and this piece of, I remember in the summer, I think it was like early August, right before I had to make all these, these decisions. 
And I was walking up the stairs to my apartment and I had this crazy feeling like, this is not my apartment anymore. Like I was walking up the stairs, it was very much still my apartment. You know, I hadn't ended my lease and my body already knew like, this is not my home. And, you know, I actually wrote a poem at that point in time about this whole journey, the grieving process and the challenges of being, you know, in a space where you have to make these choices and they're for the better. Um, And starting fresh, you know, leaving all these different things behind for what feels right now. And, you know, the only way I knew that was within my body, right? That intuitive piece, that knowing within me, those pings that you get, um, I had to follow them. I couldn't ignore them anymore. And that was where things really started to change in a beautiful way for me. Once I started to listen to those pieces and started to act on them and make these decisions and leave things And not to say, you know, it wasn't challenging, but this piece I think that I've thought about more recently is, you know, we're kind of to some degree obsessed with things being easy in our society, right? Like if it's too hard and maybe not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, instead of needing it to be easy, can we aim for ease? You know, this piece of, it might be kind of challenging. There's going to be all these things I need to do. You know, I need to move. I need to set up with HR that I'm not coming back. Like there's all these pieces that aren't easy, but ultimately they're going to put me more at ease with myself. And that was when it just started to happen. You know, it was Leo season. I was like, okay, like taking action and making decisions and leaving my lease and, you know, putting in all the paperwork needed for my school district. And there was a lot of things I was leaving behind. And at the same time, it just felt right. And I had to trust. I had to trust that what I knew within myself was enough. Mm -hmm. And that is a hard one. You know, we're kind of taught to always get these external pieces for it to feel good enough. And for me, I just had to really dive deep into what I'm doing. If it feels right within me, then that is enough. Um, you know, and there's moments where, you know, I have self-doubt or I have different things come up, but that is the biggest piece, you know, this past year since making those decisions has just been all about building self-trust from that point forward. You know, I felt like the foundation had been crumbled. I was starting at scratch, you know, trying to build up to my baseline of health again. And then from there, just building that security, building that foundation and it being of self-trust. Mm-hmm. Not of these notions of permanence from a career or from someone else's, you know, good jobs, or it was really building up the ground of security from within myself. Yeah. Isn't it kind of interesting, too, that I think a big reason we often do hold on to those those jobs or those other situations that we're not really aligned with 
is for that sense of security and reliability. And really what we're getting out of that isn't security or reliability because that job is just as easily taken away from us as anything else, right? Like Mm -hmm. you never know when you can just lose your job if you're employed by someone else. So it's seeing reliability and security in the way that how can you create that for yourself and beyond just your job while financial security and reliability is important and it does contribute to your overall wellness also how can you create a reliable sense of health and well-being and maybe even consider how can you create a reliable financial stability for yourself or like in ways that you have some more control over. I think we put so much false perception of reliability in those careers that we have in our employers and see reliability and security in that pension and the benefits that we have. But it's just this whole image that's been depicted to us by society, by the generations above us. Yes. And like you said before, you know, this piece of in our parents' generation and before them, that was required, you know? They had to, you know, get the education and get the job and stay in that forever to provide for the family, you know? And thinking of my family, this immigrant mindset, you know, coming to Canada, and they're in a completely different space. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we, you know, have this actual ability now to not just be at that survival or above, but to reach a new level of fulfillment and self-actualization and feeling into yourself and your worth and your wholeness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have that ability and potential and I, you know, I don't think it's something to take for granted and to take lightly, you know, we get to do that. And actually that summer I had had a session with a coach that kind of came, um, as an opportunity that came up for me, someone who I knew. And she asked me in that session what stability and security meant to me, like what I thought it was. Not what, you know, I someone placed on me or what society says, but what actually I think that means. Had you ever thought of that before? I had never. No. It was like this crazy moment where I was like, what? And so I, you know, finished the call and went to my journal and wrote out, okay, like what is stability to me? And the answer was not my job. You know, it was my close circle. It was my family and friends. It was um, my passions in life. It was having a meaningful impact. You know, it was all these different things. It, I realized that the job I was in was actually not providing me stability in my own definition. Incredible. So that was a a pretty neat takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. And just the way that you knew that, you just hadn't actually consciously come to that thought. Yes. And that coach brought it out of you. But like you clearly, as you started journaling, you knew that within. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. So then at this point, you're starting to build this self-trust. You're developing self-trust within yourself how did you go about moving forward in actually developing that sense within yourself and kind of approaching your well-being from that more holistic level Mm, that's such a good question 
Yeah, I think at that point, I, you know, I had moved, I had left my career to some extent, and I was just really in a place of, of healing. You know, that entire fall, I was just trying to get my health back up to baseline. Um, I was very much deep in the work and, you know, I started coming across different tools or diving deeper into them and human design was a big one, something that, you know, resonated with me so deeply. Um, and you know, all these things are tools. They're all things just to help us connect with self. And that was a big one for me. Can we just quickly, for anyone who's never heard of what human design is, can you explain that quickly? Yeah, so human design um, is a tool kind of similar to Myers-Briggs or, um, you know, Enneagram or some of these different resources that help us understand ourselves better. And, um, you know, human design is one that specifically works on kind of the energy that we have. So when you were born at a certain place and time, you know, kind of like, what was happening in the world at that point in time, similar to astrology, but different. Um, And so there's five energy types that you can be, um, and each person is one specific energy type and design. And my specific design is manifester, and it's only 8% of the population, um, which for me was absolutely expanding to hear um, because for so long I think I felt really like the black sheep in things really always wanting to do things differently and always feeling a little out of place um, and realizing my design was huge because it really gave me permission to step into who I am more fully and to realize okay I meant to initiate I meant to lead I meant to inform and to start new things that haven't been done before. You know, that's all part of my design. And, um, you know, it's it's just a tool to help us connect to self in, in a way that's meaningful. And, you know, since learning about it more, I've told some of my friends and shared with them some bits about their design. And I've just had Anyone who I know who I've spoken to them about their design has just resonated with it so deeply. And so I think, you know, if it's a tool that resonates, then you take it. And if not, you leave it. But um, it's definitely been a huge one for me. Yeah, me too. And I know we've spoken about this before. And there's so much to your human design chart. For anyone listening, there's online resources that you can go to if you literally just search up in Google human design or human design chart there's so many free resources that'll do it and I actually learned a little bit about how it's it's actually based on astrology I think the the person who created it it's somewhat recent like somewhere in the 1900s I think Mm -hmm. and it was based on astrology and three other like ancient sciences ancient wisdom and he like had this whole download and all this information was just channeling through him and he just like created this system that combined all of these ancient forces so it's really powerful and it's really scientifically backed and the way i see it too is it's just very experiential and it's something that you experiment with so 
like you said, it, it can make you feel so seen in mm-hmm. the ways you're feeling that maybe you haven't actually put to words yet or seen tangibly in front of you. So even in just that piece of feeling seen, then you can start to apply that to your life and honoring those parts of yourself that you now feel have been witnessed and have been acknowledged. And then you can see how that actually impacts you moving forward and how you can make decisions and do things according to the way that your human design kind of tells you that is most natural and bringing back that word ease Mm -hmm. it helps you live a life of ease and flow with yourself and your own inner workings so it's such an interesting tool and it actually like I said I I would encourage anyone to just look and Maybe you'll feel a little bit seen when you when you look at your chart. And there's so much to it, so it can be a little overwhelming at first. But just actually starting to maybe be aware of that and bring that into your life, you can start to notice so many differences. Mm-hmm. Even for myself. I mean, I'm not that deep into it, but the bits that I've paid attention to, it makes a, it makes a huge world of a difference in combination with other things that I study, like astrology and other sciences yoga ayurveda but yeah it's so there's so much depth to it and i would love to maybe even in another conversation we can go deeper yes. into human design if I that's love it. people listening let us know if this is something that's kind of sticking with you <laughs> totally it's super fun and there's so many things to speak to on it yeah yeah and so then human design was one thing that really helped you mm-hmm. and with that new understanding of yourself where where did your next decisions take you yeah and so I guess even just to you know add on to that piece in terms of tools so you know at that point in time I was um and still follow a program TBM to magnetic which is super helpful you know you can get into inner child work and shadow work and some of those pieces were really huge for me as well and you know another one that I found was Reiki. And at that point in time, you know, it was very much for my own healing. It was something that I was being called to. And, you know, I knew that it had the same underlying principles as acupuncture, which had had been the most beneficial to me in, you know, kind of that super challenging point in time. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to actually do my training for Reiki at that point. And, That was a huge moment for me because not only was there just so much healing in that, but it was a completely different kind. You know, it really opened me up to seeing that soul aspect of Mm -hmm. mind, body, soul connection and health. Yeah. And, you know, we spoke about this before, how in our society, you know, the energetic or the soul or spirit side of health is very much... um, kind of, you know, ignore it altogether and really not discussed and not really in practices um, or that are accessible for people. And so this was huge for me to feel like I was receiving support on that level. Mm. You know, I had done stuff for mind. I was seeing a counselor for a couple years and I was doing different things there. The physical side, you know, had always been at the forefront and now this side of stepping into health around you know the soul 
and spirit was really huge for me. Um, and starting to, in that new year, starting to practice Reiki, it was one of the biggest things that has opened up my intuition and connection to my intuition. Um, because when I'm practicing Reiki, I have to follow my intuition or it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> and so that was a really beautiful tool as well that um, I started to kind of tap into around that time to moving into this new season yeah. um, that I was stepping into. No, And that's so true about the, the soul and spirit aspect of health. And it like we've spoken about and you said, it's so absent in our Western society, though I, I feel like we are kind of in this like there's some paradigm shift. Yeah, I'm hopeful. <laughs> We're increasing the consciousness of that a little bit, but that soul and spirit level, I believe truly is the basis of all health and well-being. Like that's the foundation. And if you aren't well on that level, your wellness only exists on that surface level, which is exposed and vulnerable and very vulnerable to being taken down through those external things. Yes. And this level of well-being often happens when you you think you're well on the surface and in that tangible mental physical level and you don't think you need to be paying attention to that wellness, but it's also being worn down beneath all of that, that physical and mental, like your um, doctor said, mm. that you appeared to be well, the patient appeared to be well. So you can appear well on the outside, but not also be well on the inside. And it's often, yeah, we're out there wearing down those physical, mental bodies, mm. pushing ourselves, working hard, striving, grinding, but wearing down that spirit and soul well-being. And we cause that self-destruction from the inside out without even knowing it, or we don't notice until those physical symptoms arise and we go get that pill or prescription to spot treat that issue, never looking at the underlying cause that we've, we've all these topics that we've been speaking about throughout the whole conversation. And that, that underlying cause that really disrupted your entire balance of the human body as a whole, not just that one physical symptom. So the soul and spirit is really like that underlying, like it's like that groundwork that's holding everything together. And then once the pieces of that start to crumble, then that's when you start to notice those physical and mental symptoms. Yes. So I love that Reiki was the thing that really brought that piece into your healing journey and then was then able to manifest into physical and mental well-being rather than struggles so coming back to reiki though i know i've spoke about this before with my community on instagram and such and oftentimes people have no clue what i'm talking about so can you just like give a little overview of what reiki is and like mm -hmm. what can it help like who can it help yeah, so Reiki, it works with the life force energy in your body. So any living being actually has life force energy. Um, if you're alive, right, then you have life force energy Makes moving sense. through you. Yeah. Um, 
However, the life force energy within us can become stuck. It can be very weak, which is the case with depression. If someone is depressed, often their life force energy is very weak or at certain areas, it's very weak. Um, And so the idea is that when your life force energy is flowing through you with, you know, with ease, you are in wellness. And when there's, you know, stuck energy or weak energy, um, then you're often experiencing this layer of dis-ease in different ways, right? It can be physical symptoms that appear or mental, emotional, um, you know, stresses, let's say, and sometimes not. Sometimes it's just like you're saying, it's only at that spiritual, you know, energetic level and hasn't manifested yet on maybe the physical um, side of things. And so... Often I'll get patients who come to me for a physical or emotional trauma. And we're working kind of at your, like you're saying at the root on the energy side of things to clear things, to help, you know, allow that life force energy to move through mm-hmm. in the way that it's meant to. Right. Um, but the beautiful piece is when we get past some of that and we just get to work with the energy Mm -hmm. we get to work with that um you know essence of who you are and you know reiki the ray part is um universal consciousness and so any reiki practitioner is channeling that energy um it's only healing energy it can never do harm um and then the key part like in in Chinese medicine would be called uh, qi, is that life force energy. And so, you know, if anyone's had acupuncture done before, it's the same principle. They're working with the life force energy. It's just they're, you know, going about it in a different way with needles and stimulating um, different meridian channels. And Mm -hmm. so um, Reiki is is a way to tap into that spiritual, energetic self. And to some people, they may think, I don't really know what that means. (laughs) And I know I didn't at that point in time when I was accessing it at first. Um, It's something that if people are open to wellness on a different level, you know, they've gone to the doctor, they've tried, you know, chiropractor, physio, or things that are only for the physical body, and it's not giving them the relief they need it may mean, you know, they need to go about another component of health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that mind-body-soul connection within health, I think, is so important. And Reiki is a tool and a treatment to help support on that energetic spiritual side of that we all have, right? A lot of us might not be tapped into it fully, but we all have that side. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I guess just for like maybe a little bit of a image, I don't know if this is even what Reiki looks like every time, but Jesse and I have actually done a Reiki session together. So I thought I'd maybe just kind of walk through what that was like, because yeah. we had a really incredible experience, you and I. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so when I came into the room, uh, I know you do distance as well. I do. We can, yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that after. Um, but we did it in person and... Um, we started the session with a guided meditation and of course before actually sorry before we did that 
we spoke a little bit of what I wanted to work on, what I think thought needed healing. And I think what we did was kind of like limiting beliefs, like more of that kind of level of yeah. stuff. I didn't actually have a very concrete, physical, emotional thing. It was the spiritual level. Mm-hmm. And so we started with a guided meditation to just like relax, get into the room, get into my body. And then Jesse did the energy healing with me. And that doesn't even include touch. Like it's just, it's all through energy just like over top of me but also I think there was a couple times when if it was like a certain area that the energy was really stuck and needed to move through then you would mm-hmm. um but after it was incredible because you get like messages right mm-hmm. so after she got these messages and these like symbols and I guess if you're listening to this podcast you maybe know but maybe not but the the flowers that I have on the cover photo they're very symbolic to me for courage because it was the sign that I asked for from the universe for like validation to take a step away from university, which was my really life-changing kind of courageous leap that I see so much of my story and your story, yes, which is so I funny. Agree. <laughs> but so like that came through, you said like right away I saw this pink flower and I literally, I remember just like laughing. I was like, you're kidding me now. <laughs> and she had no clue. And more symbols came through and just kind of like a spirit animal you found and other things like messages that I was meant to get. So that was a really cool side of it too for like validation and just direction mm-hmm. for moving forward after that session. Um... So that was kind of what it looked like. And you don't, it's not like you feel the healing. Well, for me anyways, because I wasn't like physical. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's different if someone's coming in with something physical, but it's not like I felt any major healing. I felt heat though, mm-hmm. when you were coming to like certain parts of my body. Um, but other than that, it's not something that you feel you with acupuncture you know you have the needles in you like that kind of thing you don't feel that instant change and relief but it's that slow working healing that's kind of coming from reiki which i think is a reason that oftentimes people don't really understand it is because you don't like go in like say with physio or cairo let's say cairo for example like you go to cairo get your back cracked or whatever it is, come out feeling like a different person. It's not that kind of same thing. So people that aren't open to that don't often see the benefit of it, I think. Yeah, and I think that just speaks to, um, you know, to this level that we're talking about in society where there is this absence of this spiritual connection, um, you know, aspect of ourselves. And I think it's important to just take a minute to kind of, define what that even means you know I think to different people who are engaged in this in this work spirituality probably has different meanings to me it just means the connection to the true you um and that's what spirit is to me it's it's you it is your soul it is your essence it's who you came here to be um you know, underneath all the layers of, you know, conditioning or expectations or different things. Um, And so spirituality is just a, you know, system that encompasses different things, but ultimately it's connecting you to your true self, your authentic self. And 
you know, if people haven't had that access in, it might sound very airy and kind of not grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why spirituality kind of gets that bad rep of being, you know, airy fairy or you not, not grounded. And it can look so many different ways, you know, for me to connect to self, you know, I practice spirituality when I'm going out on the mountain bike and trying something new and I'm following my intuition to go over, you know, a section that might be hard, but I know I can do it versus an area where, um, it isn't something I'm ready for yet. And I get off the bike you know, that piece of connecting into me in those moments is me practicing spirituality, is me being true to self. And I think that's really what it's about. And, you know, Reiki is a tool to help people connect to themselves, Mm. right? Um, And like you're speaking to, you know, this piece of coming in and sometimes people have things that they want to clear or heal or work on. And sometimes people don't. Sometimes people are just open, And I actually don't even need someone to tell me what's coming up for them. Um, You know, the energy scan always shows me where I need to work. And that's the neatest thing is what comes through needs to. And, um, you know, just trusting in that. And some people have, like you said, different experiences where they can feel, you know, heat or cooling or tingling or kind of pulsations. Um, and it can be as, you know, kind of small as just feeling relaxed and a little bit of tingling to, you know, some full body convulsions that I have in some patients and some really big experiences. And it just goes to show, you know, how much are us as beings need this, need this integration on this spiritual soul side as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it's all that level of like what you're holding on to too energetically. Yes. I appreciate too that that definition of spirituality and you really like making it tangible with that bike example because that's such a good way to just actually make it make it real and understand it by people, I think. Um now one thing though that's really on my mind and I'm sure many people are thinking too is how does it work then distant? Mm-hmm. How does yeah. Reiki work when you're not actually in person with the, the patient? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's one that a lot of people, understandably, you know, have a hard time, and you know, fully comprehending um, because our society is so physical, everything. Um, you know, I still have a lot of patients who will have the option to do distance, but if they can do in person, they will choose that. And, you know, it makes sense. Our our understanding of things is that we need to be physically with someone. And um, the reality of Reiki is that it is working on an energetic level. And so I don't need to physically be with someone in order to um, work with their energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one way of putting it is, you know, if you're sitting in front of me, I can do Reiki on you. And then if you're in the other room, I can still do Reiki on you. Um, You know, I'm still able to connect with your energy and send you the Reiki. Um, If you're in the house down the street, same thing. If you're actually traveling across the country, same thing. So, um, 
you know, there isn't this sense of, um, a need physically it's, it goes beyond the physical parameters that Mm -hmm. we typically understand our, our beingness and our bodies. Um, and it's, it's really neat for people to have an experience by distance because, um, it's not typically something people have had before, you know, this kind of connection and tapping into their energy, um, without this kind of, you know, as you had said, like there was no manipulation to your physical body. You know, my hands might have been on a placement, but, um, they don't need to be right. Right. So, um, you know, I've even been a part of some Reiki circles where the healer is channeling the energy through the screen. Um, it's something that is very intention based and an important thing to mention as well is, Anyone who's receiving a Reiki treatment, there does need to be that permission. Um, I can't just do Reiki on whoever I choose. (laughs) Um, You know, there is this piece of it is a interaction. Um, I'm engaging with your energy and there needs to be that permission to do so. Um, And so typically I'm getting that from people verbally and in a written form. And in some cases, um, you know, if I don't have that, I can check in on an energetic level with someone first as well. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. You very much feel like a yes or no. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it makes sense. Totally. Um, so then I guess just in wrapping up our conversation, is there anything that you feel is coming through that would really complete this conversation that we've had today? I think just coming back to the title, you know, really unplugging from autopilot and reconnecting to self for the listener at home, you know, what does that mean to you? What ways do you find that you're still tapped into autopilot? You know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm still very much when we're driving, we're an autopilot, right? Like there's still ways that that exists for us. Um, but what is a way in which, you know, maybe you're noticing that you're living unconsciously, um, that you're living in the striving or the pushing, or I'll just get the next thing done and then I'll, and just to be aware of that, just to acknowledge that is a beautiful first step. And then I think the second piece of reconnecting to self, you know, what is a way that resonates for you to do more of that? Does it mean for you, um, you know, going out for a run and you're connecting to self? Does it mean trying out a new modality um, like reflexology I was speaking to or Reiki? Does it mean looking into hu- your human design type? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the things we spoke to today and, you know, bringing it back to the message of your podcast, you know, where may you need to step through fear to do something courageous that will help bring you back into that connection with yourself. Um, And it's these little things, you know, like we said at the top of the episode, it's those little C moments that build into something bigger and to really not discredit and discount those because they are so important. And, um, 
you know, just really having that belief in self, I think is so important through the journey, right? It's an unfolding and, you know, that belief in self as we go in building the self-trust is, is everything. Beautiful. That was such a good, like, ribbon on top of this whole conversation. I love it. So Jesse, how can people connect with you if they're interested? How can they connect with yourself or with your work? Yes. Um, so right now I'm on Instagram at Jesse Bree, J-E-S-S-I-B-R-I. Um, I'm in the midst right now of a rebranding and some new fun stuff coming out very soon, a new umbrella and place for all the things I do to live under. Um, but for now, that's kind of the main portal where people can find me. Um, and I have writing and I have Reiki and all kinds of different things in that place. Um, I also lead mindfulness, meditation, and I'm stepping into some new things as we speak. So I'm very much in a new chapter right now, which is exciting. Um, But yeah, that's probably the best place to find me. I post most things via uh, my Instagram. And um, yeah, there's a lot that will be coming um, from there. But um, Yeah. yeah, you can find me there to start. Okay, we'll link your Instagram in the show notes for sure. And Anyone that's listening, I honestly love your content. You always post so much value and just like seeing the nature stuff you post too just lights me up in different ways too. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. So anyone that's listening, follow Jesse on Instagram and then you can stay up to date for these future offerings that are coming, which I'm excited yes. to learn about too. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't wait to share more. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story and all of your wisdom so openly and so beautifully. It truly was an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. And yeah, I hope if even one little tidbit resonates with one person out there, um, you know, it's meaningful and it's important and I'm glad to have been able to share. So thank you for having this platform. Thank you so much for hanging out with me this week and listening in to the Courage Project podcast. If you found any inspiration or value in this conversation, which if you made it this far, I'm almost positive you must have. I invite you to share it with someone in your life who might benefit from it too. I know when I receive podcast recommendations, I always feel so loved and cared for and just understood. So show someone that you care for them by sending them this episode if it really resonated with you. And with that, I am sending you so much love and so much gratitude and the best wishes for a beautiful day ahead whenever you're listening in. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye!